Wedge Issues is brought to you by Wispolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's Wispolitics.com. It has been approximately 84 years since Election Day. I'm just kidding. It's been like a week, but it feels like it's been forever. And Tony Evers has ousted Republican Governor Scott Walker, uh, Democratic candidate, state superintendent of schools, uh, is working on his transition team with Lieutenant Governor-elect Mandela Barnes. And we're mostly looking forward now, looking ahead to what's to come in the next few years as his administration works with a Republican-led legislature. But... We're also spending a little time looking back. So earlier this week, we had our first ever live Wedge Issues recording. We hung out in the upstairs of Broca on the Capitol Square, the beautiful view of that building behind us. And I talked to Brian Reisinger, senior advisor for Scott Walker's campaign, and Maggie Gao, the campaign manager for Tony Evers' campaign, who will also be serving as his chief of staff in his administration. We talked about what went well for each of the campaigns, some of the biggest struggles they faced, things they might have done differently, and of course I couldn't let either of them off the hook without asking their favorite Wisconsin beers and cheeses. So stay tuned all the way through for more about them, more about the races they ran, and more about those Wisconsin preferences. Hey guys, thank you so much for being here. I'm so so excited about this crowd. I was a little nervous, even though many of you RSVP'd. Uh, this is the first time we have done something like this. So welcome to the first ever live recording of the Wedge Issues podcast. I am your host, Jesse Opoyan, political reporter for the Cap Times. And I started doing this podcast a few months ahead of the election that we just had only a week ago. Can you guys believe that? Because I can't. Uh, and we weren't sure what was going to happen after that, but uh, we've been having a lot of fun with it and have had both of the candidates who uh, these two worked for on the podcast, and we're looking forward to having a conversation tonight. So as Chris said, um, please think of some questions. We will come to you for those at some point. But first, I'm going to introduce our guests tonight. And um, I know that like both of them, I am a little bit sleep deprived, so I'm going to use my <laughs> notes to introduce them. Um, we have Maggie Gao, who is most recently been named Chief of Staff to Governor-elect Tony Evers. <laughs> Maggie is a Wausau native, and we know this because an editor at the Wausau paper today tweeted some <laughs> photos of Maggie sure as did. a child <laughs> and young adults. The power uh, of social media. You can go see it online. <laughs> Uh, Maggie was the campaign manager for the Tony Evers campaign, and this is not her first turn as a chief of staff. She has served as chief of staff for state representative Chris Taylor and for state senator Janice Ringhand. This is going to be her first time in the east wing of the Capitol, though. Uh, before her time working in the legislature, she worked as a deputy political director on Barack Obama's campaign, or rather, I think, intermixed in the time that you yes. were working in the legislature, <laughs> Correct. Uh, as that cycle goes. But she ran uh, Tony Evers' campaign during the primary, ran it through to the general election, and ran it through down to the wire when you guys pulled it out and won. Thank you. Uh, to her left, which is the only time you're going to hear me say that. I love making those jokes. They never get old. Brian Reisinger is a vice president at Platform Communications, which is a uh, political, corporate, all kinds of advocacy communications firm here in Madison made up of uh, a lot of astute political minds. Uh, Brian was a senior advisor on the Scott Walker campaign. I met Brian when he was communications director on Ron Johnson's Senate campaign in 2016. Brian is a former journalist. He left our kind to go to the dark side, dark side, as, as we say. Um, Brian also worked for Senator Lamar Alexander in Tennessee. Uh, he grew up on a farm in rural Spring Green, Sauk County guy here. Likes to remind us of that every now and then. <laughs> um, and uh, he, he still tries his hand at writing every now and then, too. 
I'm going to kick things off by asking each of you, and this is a good chance for, for the two of you to just introduce yourselves, why you each joined the campaigns that you worked on through this race, and um, maybe some highlights of things that you're proud of. And I will start with you, Brian. Well, thanks, Jesse. And uh, first of all, I should say that while Tuesday was an unhappy result, we should pause and just for another moment recognize that you don't get the chance very often to be uh, chief of staff to the governor in the great state of Wisconsin. So let's give Maggie another hand. Thank you. And uh, there are no promotions to announce on this side of the table. Um, I did I did talk to my nine-year-old nephew, and he informed me that even though the election didn't turn out the way he'd hoped, I could still deer hunt with him this weekend. <laughs> so doing a little better with uh, constituencies outside of Madison than within. And he, he did pretty well deer hunting He did do year, well, right? yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a trophy hunter, 12-point buck, uh, eight-year-old. So, But I should filibuster on that, um, but instead uh, turn into the question, um, you know, this is something that I think every Republican in the state of Wisconsin can appreciate, and hopefully um, a lot of people who aren't Republicans could also appreciate, which is that to work for Scott Walker is a rare privilege. Um, he's somebody who did very big things in this state. Um, he is a good man, um, faith-filled man. I have never met anyone who treats people with such respect, um, even in the face of you know, pretty incredible adversity. Um, and so he's a, special, he's a special public servant. And so um, after I uh, was a reporter in Wisconsin and then in Tennessee and ended up in D.C. working in politics, I had the chance to come back and work for Ron Johnson, as Jesse said, and, and be part of that campaign in 2016. That was a great privilege. And my family likes to say that Ron Johnson brought me home, but Scott Walker helped me stay um, because some of the things that were going on in this state and some of the people I got to work with allowed me to be able to stay here and do interesting work here and to be able to add to that by working for someone that um, those of us on our side of the aisle, and, and we think a lot of people who don't necessarily share all of our views, um, really believe in, um, was a real privilege. And so to be able to be part of that, regardless of how it turned out, was um, just an incredible thing to be part of, and uh, a lot of fun, um, despite the result. Um, I have to say, so Brian and I, we did all of the debate negotiations between the two campaigns. So when we got here tonight and we were checking out the setup here, I went to him like, you know, we might want to change these stools a little bit. And it was funny because during the campaign, we actually, we surprised, I think, the hosts of the debate because we were almost always on the same side of what we wanted. So once again, true to form tonight, we did alter the set a little bit <laughs> for what we wanted it to look like. Um, but I think for me, um, I had obviously worked in the legislature for a number of years for uh, several legislators, um, all incredible women. And I think for me, the reason I decided I wanted to join this campaign was uh, I really thought it was time for kind of a breath of fresh air in politics. Um, Tony is one of the kindest, uh, most compassionate people. He's respectful um, that I've ever met. And he's somebody who really brings people together. And so for me, having the opportunity to work on a statewide, but also to have the opportunity to work for someone who is as good of a person as what he is, who's dedicated his life to making Wisconsin a better place for our kids. To me, there just wasn't a greater privilege than that. And so that was really what kind of brought me out of the Capitol and into this world um, to, to run his race for him. And I'm very happy that I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I want to say, too, I, I didn't mention this early, but uh, both of our, our guests tonight agreed to have this conversation here before they knew how this election was going to shake out. And I really appreciate that and want to applaud them for both being willing, not knowing the outcome to be here. So to... Uh, Continue on your, your high yeah. uh, election night. Yeah. Can you just walk me through, walk this room through the process? I mean, this was, for, for those of us who were following throughout the entire night, it was insanity. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there are close races, and then there are races where you're refreshing the results every two minutes, <laughs> and a different candidate is up every two minutes by about the same amount of points. And it was uh, stressful, I think, for everyone involved. So when did you have an inclination or know how things were going to shake out? Um, what was sort of the decision-making process for you as a staff in terms of when to put your candidate out on stage, when to say, we think we've got this, and what were the emotions as you were dealing with that? I mean, it certainly was quite a night. Uh, I've always said to Tony, I'm surprised that like Hollywood execs aren't calling him right now because it's a story in itself, honestly. That's a story me. of a Euchre game. Yes, exactly, because we did play Euchre, uh, as he normally does on election night with his family. Um, and, you know, I think it was obviously a night of, a, it was a roller coaster night, but I think going into it, we, we felt we were in a really good place and we had ran the race that we wanted to run. Um, we had just come off of a six-day, 1,600-mile school bus 
tour across the state of Wisconsin. And, um, you know, I think we felt we'd kind of left it all on the field. And I think that going into the night, we felt we were in a good place. We had, like I said, ran the race we wanted to run. Um, and I think that, you know, obviously it was, you know, there was a gap and then it got tighter and then it was a gap and then it got tighter. And obviously we also had several of our other candidates that we had been working very strongly with like Josh Call um, and Sarah Godlewski and obviously Senator Baldwin. Um, and so, you know, I think we all kind of just kept watching things to see where they were going. And, um, you know, we knew that there were a couple of communities that still had votes out. So like Green Bay and La Crosse. And then we later, obviously we found out about Milwaukee. Um, and obviously when the ballots from Milwaukee and the city of Milwaukee came in and we knew what they were, um, we felt like we were in a place to, to claim victory. Um, and so, you know, obviously you have these kind of plans and I'm sure Brian can speak to this too. You have these plans. Okay. What's our night going to, we do our walkthroughs and we have, it timed out, you know, minute by minute of how this is going to go. And obviously that whole plan went right out the window. <laughs> and it ended up me being backstage with, you know, t with the governor-elect and, and Mandela and basically being like, okay, this is going to be the plan and this is how we're going to do it. And you're going to go out there. Um, and so obviously it turned into, it, it, it was obviously something, uh, it was an incredible night and uh, we obviously didn't get to bed till very late that morning. Um, but I think that it was, it was an incredible experience, and I think that I'm just really grateful about the fact that, you know, Tony was able to accept and to give that speech in front of all of his family and friends. He sent some of his kids home. They were falling asleep, and the grandkids were falling asleep, so some of them, <laughs> I know, it was a thing. Um, but uh, it was really an exciting night, and I'm just really proud to have been a part of it. And you had confetti and REO speedwagon. Oh, yeah. we Oh, yes, we did. Uh, confetti guns off to Cassie. I know uh, that was something that we, uh, she pushed that button and it was exciting. So, Brian, I, I think you, you would echo some of the things there. Not a lot of it, but the, the thought of leaving it all in the field, I think I, I would expect you to say that. But uh, walk me through the process for election night for you guys. Obviously, very different outcome, but you had supporters gathered, waiting, watching in the same way. Um, how, how did it walk through for you? Well, I think what we saw, and I think this is probably indisputable, and we'd probably have some heat of bipartisan agreement over this, we saw that Wisconsin is indisputably an evenly balanced battleground state, and both sides have to fight um, to win, and both sides have to t constantly take lessons from that. That's something that we're doing on this side now, um, especially given, given the way the result turned out. Um, but beyond um, the specific outcome, a lot of it is the same. I mean, our campaign felt like we put everything out there on the field. We feel like we had a candidate who trapped. It was actually a running joke, the number of statewide tours that we said Scott Walker was <laughs> doing when we talked to the press. Um, and that's something that's indisputable about him. I mean, he was out there, he was working it, he was connecting with people um, all the way up until the end. And so all of that, leaving it all on the field and driving yourself to the point of exhaustion and waiting for that post-campaign death spiral cold to set in um, when your body gives up, all those things um, that you uh, deal with, win or lose. Um, as it pertained to us, um, again, we were watching returns all night long, and I think the watching of the returns on our end is an interesting, illustrates something interesting about the state of Wisconsin, which is the urban and rural divide. And so we saw, you know, a tight race from the beginning, bouncing back and forth as the returns were coming in. And then we saw Madison uh, come in. And I think what we saw was the beginnings of what I think is fair to call the Madison midterm, when you saw how much of the vote surged from Dane County, specifically the city of Madison, as well as liberal enclaves in different parts of the state, city of Milwaukee, a few other urban and suburban areas where Republicans have done well, continue to do well, but Democrats did a little better than they've done in the past. Um, so when you saw the massive influx of votes that happened with Dane County, specifically the city of Madison, you saw it widen. And so at that point for us, it became about the rural vote. And we said, rural voters have not yet spoken in this election in full, and let's see what happens. And so there was a gap of three, four, five points um, after the, uh, the bulk of the Dane County vote came in, and then we began to see some of the rural counties come back in. And we began to see it tighten back up. And we knew that it was going to tighten. We knew that it was going to end um, very much down to the wire. And the question was, where was it going to land, of course? So we saw more of that rural vote come in. We saw it tighten. Um, the, uh, the infamous uh, city of Milwaukee ballots were mentioned. And before those ballots came in, Scott Walker actually held a narrow lead after the rural vote had come in. And so for us, we were at a point in time where it wasn't clear when the Milwaukee ballots were going to come in. Um, whether it was going to be that night, whether it was going to be later, what it was going to be. Um, it wasn't clear how long both campaigns were going to hang around, how long the media was going to hang around, all of that stuff. And we saw that narrow lead. Um, and that's the point at which we began to put out the alarm bell saying, hey, there could be a recount here. Um, and that was a statement on what we thought the other side might do. I'm sure that Maggie might have thoughts on what they were going to do because Republican intel on what Democrats are going to do is always suspect, and it's the same in reverse. 
Um, but we thought, hey, this is going to be really close, and it is possible that we are going to end this night with a very narrow lead, like the one that we were seeing after the rural vote, and the Democrats are going to recount. And so that's when you saw us begin to put those alarm bells up. And around the time that we were doing that, of course, the city of Milwaukee ballots came in, and that was um, obviously a difficult moment for all of us. It was hard to see um, after you put everything you do into an election. Um, but it was also, objectively speaking, a really dramatic moment, really interesting um, politics to see how that shook out. There were a lot of questions about those ballots. Eventually, enough of those questions got answered. Um, but for us, it was, it was really watching this incredibly tight election widen as the city of Madison came in and as that Madison midterm kind of reality set in. And then the rural vote um, bringing it back until, you know, at the end, that, that last round of ballots tipped the balance. So it was, it was tense. It was back and forth. It was exciting. It was difficult. Um, but, you know, beyond the outcome, I think probably a lot of the experiences were similar for you guys as well as for us. Yeah, and I think one thing I would say, though, that I think is a little, I mean, Dane County obviously had an incredible turnout, but I think that we saw across the state of Wisconsin that there was incredible turnout. And I think that, you know, the, the, the fact that we had the highest levels that I think we've ever seen, I think is something that really speaks to the engagement and, and how tough of a campaign and how competitive that it truly was up and down the ticket. I mean, I, I think one of the things that, we're really proud of, I think, is our whole slate of, of candidates from Senator Baldwin on down. I mean, we had some really fantastic candidates that were running, but and I think, but what you saw really was, while Dane, like I said, Dane County had higher numbers, we also saw really high voting across the state of Wisconsin in ways that we hadn't seen in a midterm before. And so I think, to me, that's something that's a really important takeaway from, you know, this election as well. Maggie and I forgot to ask about the rebuttal to the rebuttal rules. <laughs> Go ahead. We were big on that in the yeah. debate. That's so, true. I thought you guys were just on the same page. <laughs> Only when we're ganging up on TV. Right, right. Of the and me, night. apparently. <laughs> um, no, I think there's something to be said for that. And I do think that, you know, Republicans out there and the Republican audience statewide need to take heart in the fact that while turnout was up, um, and while there was a crushing turnout in Madison and some other key areas for the Democrats, turnout was up um, in big ways across the state for Republicans as well. Um, Scott Walker had 34,000 more voters turn out for him uh, in 2018 than he did in 2014. And that includes some of the key areas um, where the margins were not quite what we wanted them to be, but we still had as many or more voters um, turn out in all of the wild counties, for instance. Um, rural turnout was still incredibly strong for Scott Walker, um, independent of whatever was going on nationally. And so I think that it's true that turnout was up. It's true that turnout was up in this city. Um, but it's true that turnout was up across the board for both sides in a lot of places. And I think that Republicans need to take heart that their coalition, their base did not fall apart in this election. It remains there. And what we need to do is figure out how to build on that. And that speaks to the kind of the battleground nature of the state. That speaks to the strength of the campaigns that were at play. Um, I also think it speaks to the strength of state legislative campaigns. Um, the Republican Party of Wisconsin... Um, and the fact that the governor's race was so close that we're able to still have Republican majorities in the state legislature despite the narrow loss in the governor's race. All of that is about all of this stuff coming together and turnout being high um, in Republican areas as well as in Democrat areas. So I'm going to ask you both to expand on that a little bit, and that, that is um, the fact that Democrats won all five contested partisan constitutional offices. So governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, state secretary, state treasurer, Lieutenant Governor? Attorney General? I don't know what yeah, I missed. Anyway, there are five. Democrats won those. The legislature is still heavily under Republican control. 63-36 uh, margin in the Assembly, 1914 margin in the Senate. Uh, it's going to be an interesting four years. Uh, looking also then at the U.S. Senate race, Tammy Baldwin ran really far ahead of Leah Vukmir. That was called, I think, before even any votes came in, which was a new one, I think, for those of us covering elections here in Wisconsin. But I, I want to know what each of you think sort of that, that says about the Wisconsin electorate. Um, do you think there's split ticket things happening here? I know there's talk about um, the way that legislative maps are drawn. Uh, what, what, are, what are each of you taking away from the margins at each level on, on this ballot? I mean, I think it's one word. It's redistricting. I mean, I think that the effects that we saw from the way that the maps were drawn, um, I think, is something that should be of concern to a lot of folks. And I think is why we saw a lot of what we did see on Tuesday night, that our statewide candidates went one way, and obviously state legislative didn't go exactly the same. One thing I do want to say is I do want to give a shout-out to Jenny Dye, who's here, who did an incredible job for the state senate campaign. <laughs> 
And I think that the work that Jenny and the Senate did in the special elections that we saw earlier this year really set the tone, I think, across the board for what we were able to do in winning. You know, they won a hard-fought special up in the northwestern part of the state. They won a hard-fought special in the northeastern part of the state. And I think they really showed us that authenticity matters and that you can run positive campaigns with good people and, and with a message that is about serving the people that you're elected to represent. And I think that the work that they did in those specials really set the tone for us and what we were able to do coming out of the primary and going into the general. But there's no doubt about it. I think redistricting was at the heart of what happened here um, and isn't the full cause by no means, but I think it is a large part that we really need to take a look at um, to ensure that you know Wisconsin continues to be a purple state. So this is the part of the night where I get a little bit less popular, except for that table back there of Republicans that I appreciate turning out. They really appreciate you pointing them. Yeah, the back I know. There. I know. They thought they were under the radar. So I don't get to be, it's a team sport. So um, I think that if Democrats look at an election where they won the governorship by 1.2%, and they think that they should have had sweeping victories in the legislature, then their party bosses need to go back to math class. Because the fact of the matter is that this was an incredibly tight election across the state, and there were individual campaigns ran in all of these districts where Republicans were successful. And if anybody who looks at the assembly knows that there are a large number of seats that are up for grabs by Democrats. I grew up in Sauk County, as Jesse mentioned, went to the Democrats. Um, and the district that I grew up in is right next door to Todd Novak. And that district has all kinds of reasons that Democrats should be able to win it, and he continues to win it year after year. And so I think that, you know, it's easy for both parties, for either party, to take and grab excuses or, or things that maybe there's some, you know, there's a reason to make that argument, but it can be extrapolated too far, whatever it might be, and to attribute it to something. And the idea that we had as tight of an election as we did, and that there's one simple, easy reason why Republicans are holding the legislature, I don't think is being, I don't think is, is That's something. That's not what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Some on your side do, perhaps. And so I think there's a danger for Democrats taking that too far, just as there's a danger for Republicans not recognizing what we need to do after this election to continue to build on our rural coalition to win back some of the suburban areas where there were some changes where perhaps we can look and we say, oh, look, we still had the same number or more votes in terms of raw vote totals in these areas, but the margins were just off. Well, why were the margins off? And so we have to face some hard truths on this end. And I think that people in this state also need to face some hard truths of the fact that, look, the legislature is competitive. All of the elections are competitive in this state. And when you've got an evenly divided battleground state like Wisconsin, you've got to fight for every inch. And the fact of the matter is that the people of Wisconsin and delivered divided government. The people spoke. They narrowly elected a Democrat governor. They kept large Republican majorities. And so now there's divided government. So people have to figure out how to navigate that. And, you know, people who work on campaigns on both sides have to figure out how to build on what they've done and take things to the next level if they want to win Wisconsin. So I want to ask you both really broadly speaking, and I've done plenty of my own writing about this, but for I'm going I'm to let you put it in your own words instead of seeing what I have to say about it. What was the message and the strategy for your campaigns, broadly speaking? How did that evolve over the course of the race? And I'm going to fold in an audience question here. You can rail on me a little bit here. What issues do you think were overcovered or undercovered by the media in Wisconsin? You know, we, we felt like um, the the race was a matchup between a reformer like Scott Walker who had gotten results and was moving the state forward and was making the case that we need to keep Wisconsin working. And, you know, I think that a lot of people, you know, polling shows consistently that a large majority of people in Wisconsin thought that the state was headed in the right direction. And we think that for us, it was about making clear that the Wisconsin comeback needs to happen, needs to continue, and that, you know, you need real leadership. You need somebody who's going to deliver results in order to do that. Um, I think that we felt like um, those messages mattered in this race and that that was something that was consistent. Um, we tried to make the case that Scott Walker is someone who's going to take action, who's going to do what he said he's going to do, who's going to show real leadership. And we felt like um, now Governor-elect Evers um, perhaps didn't have a record that demonstrated that as clearly as Scott Walker's did. There are a wide range of issues that were discussed within that. On our end, we were talking about the economy, we were talking about jobs, we were talking about wages, we were talking about more people working than ever before. We were talking as a part of that and something that can continue to drive that tax cuts we're talking about um, continuing to build our workforce. We're talking about education investments. So there's a wide range of issues that we talked about in this race that we think mattered. Um, but for us, it all fit into the question of do you want the state to move forward or do you want to go backward? Um, we think that, one, 
Um, there are a lot of things about our message that resonated with people and that you see independent of these election results that people did feel like the state was heading in the right direction. I think it's important that a lot of that stuff continue. Um, as far as the election results are concerned, I think it's important for people to note that when you've got a governor's race that was decided by 1.2%, there's a large portion of the state that feels like some of the things that were going on were good. And some of the things that Scott Walker was talking about and doing and talking about doing in the future um, were good as well. And so um, those were um, a lot of the issues that we tried to focus on in this race. Um, there were obviously all sorts of others that came up. Um, but that was the case that we tried to make. Um, and I think we saw, um, I should say, we always felt like coming into the general election, we are going to be down. Actually, in, in fact, the weeks leading up to the general election, the final weeks of the primary, Scott Walker was saying, look for us to be down. Um, and that's what happened. And I think that the message about the Wisconsin comeback and the fact that the state was heading in the right direction, that we need to continue doing that, keep Wisconsin working, is something that ultimately tightened that race up until it was a nail-biter on election night. So I think there's a lot that resonated there, even though we as Republicans need to figure out what is it that we need to do to break through further, build on that progress, and come back um, to victory. We have to identify what the shortcomings were in that message. But that's what we thought the race was about, and I think that um, a lot of that resonated with a lot of people, um, as evidenced by the ultimate results on election night. I would say that for us, one of the things I'm most proud of in how we ran our race was we were really disciplined on our message. I actually got an email from somebody once that said, you know, all you guys talk about is schools, roads, and health care. Can you talk about anything else? <laughs> and as a political operative, I'm like, yeah! <laughs> so I would say that obviously no question that was what our message was about is that, you know, Governor-elect Evers is somebody who is a problem solver that's focused on solving problems and not picking political fights. And I think when you look at his record as somebody who's been elected statewide three times, most recently with 70% of the vote in 70, 72 counties, I think that we, we knew he had a track record of being someone that had results of being able to bring people together and to get things done. And, you know, I think we really, you know, one of the things that we did is we let Tony be Tony. And I think that, you know, we embraced his Egg McMuffin loving, polka dancing, euchre playing self. And I think that it really resonated with Wisconsin voters. And I think when you're talking about you know, better schools and better roads and better health care. Those aren't Democrat or Republican values. Those are Wisconsin values. And I think that having someone who embodies Wisconsin through and through, like Governor-elect Evers does, I really think that, that to me, that is something that just the two messages really coincided very well together. And, and you know, what you see is what you get with Tony. He is somebody who is who he is. Um, and I think that our ability to stay consistent with our message, no matter what we were talking about, it always came down to this is somebody who is going to put the people of the state first. And I think that some of the things that we saw, because of the tenacity of us sticking to our message, I think that it created some problems for the Walker campaign. I think the fact that Scott Walker started talking about pre-existing health conditions when he hadn't previously talked about them was something that, and we continued to keep talking about it, and by the end, Governor Walker was talking about pre-existing health conditions at every stop and, and in, in some of his ads. And so I think that our ability to stick to what we wanted to talk about, as this was somebody who was going to put the people of the state first and not his own political interest, I think is something that really dovetailed nicely with the three points that we talked about in terms of road schools and healthcare. The other thing I would say is that, um, you know, I think that there were some issues that the press was kind of infatuated with that we weren't, like Act 10, and, and, and not that it's not an important issue, but I think that neither of the campaigns, it was something that we kind of kept getting asked about, and it was something that it, it just, it's an important issue, but I think it's also one of those that I just, we, in terms of on the stump, you know, it wasn't something, the, the campaigns were going in a different direction. I think where we were talking and where we were going, that issue kind of started to continue to come up. And there were some other issues here and there. But I think on the whole, um, we, we stayed true to our message and who we were and who Tony was. And I think that that really was part of our recipe for success. So I'm, I'm going to ask you both to sort of piggyback on that. What are things that you did during the campaign that you feel were really successful, things that whether it was an ad, a message, things that you just felt like, yeah, this is doing what we want to accomplish here. And on the flip side of that, what's something that you tried, thought was going to work out well and just really didn't? I would say for us that, um, you know, I think our message discipline was incredible. I think we really did a great job of continuing to talk about the issues and within the frame that we wanted to talk about. And I think that, you know, that was something that, um, you know, no matter where we went, I think that that, that, 
was successful. I would say that to me, the areas that another area that I thought in terms of our ads that were really good, the best ads that we had, I feel like were the ones where Tony was really talking direct to camera, where he was addressing the voters of the state of Wisconsin. Um, you know, we believe that I think one of the changes that we really tried to be deliberate about in terms of this campaign was giving the voters something to be for, not just something that to be against. And so I think that the ads that we did with Tony, where he was talking directly to the voters, um, to me were very compelling because it was. I think really showing who he was and why he is the leader to kind of unify the state of Wisconsin and that he is someone that is focused on getting things done and he is a calm in the political storm. I think that there's a lot of chaos that's going on right now and people, you know, whether it's in Washington, D.C. or it's here in Madison, they're looking for a steady hand at the wheel. And I think that, you know, we were able to provide that comfort to voters um, through our ads and I love all of them. Um, they were great, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but I think that that's something that I, I really liked. Uh, those were the best ads in terms of in what I would say. Um, and I think in terms of things that we would have done differently, I mean, we won, so I don't. And there are some things that I'm like, okay. But of course, you look back, and there are things that you wish. Um, and there's some, I think, some th areas where I think we wish we would have, in terms of some staffing needs, prioritized things a little bit differently. Um, and obviously, there were some answers that you prepped for that um, I wish we would have maybe done a little differently. Obviously, but I think on the whole, we really were disciplined in the areas where we needed to be, and I think that's why we were as successful as we were. We should probably get to answer this question for each other, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you will. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Um, yeah, it's a great question. Um, the things that I think we felt we did well, um, I think that uh, we did a good job of driving Scott Walker's record of results, and I think we did a good job of talking about what he was going to do to keep that comeback going. I think that Scott Walker, when we were talking about the Wisconsin comeback, the economy, keeping Wisconsin working, taxes, um, that was his wheelhouse. That was something that he is able to articulate really, really well. And I think that the just relentless campaigning and ads on that is something that tightened up the race. It's one of the few things, actually, that I think you can isolate and identify that moved numbers in this race because it's very difficult to do um, that in a nationalized environment and really isolate down what happened. But when you see the Walker campaign go from, just to take one um, example and give Charles Franklin a shout-out here, on the Marquette poll um, with the Republicans and Scott Walker being down, five points in September and then being up one in early October and then basically the race being tied after that, I think you can say that there was an effective message from Governor Walker on what was going well in the state and what was at stake if we turned back around. And I think that that's something that um, Scott Walker and um, our campaign and the entire Republican team did really, really well. Um, as far as things we should have been differently, I mean, we have to be candid with ourselves about you know, what is it about our message that didn't quite break through with some of those suburban voters that we needed? Um, we felt that we had a good rural coalition. We felt that our vote totals were still good in those suburban areas that had been strong for Republicans, but there were more Democrat voters who turned out um, in many of those areas. And so we needed to find a message that broke through um, in a bigger way. Um, you always have to find areas to improve, and that's one area where we can improve. If I'm getting a little more specific and drilling down into that, I can't speak for everybody on the Republican side, but I can say for myself specifically, that pre-existing conditions to me was an issue that I thought that we were addressing and were dealing with sufficiently, and there needed to be more done on that. Now, Scott Walker, to his credit, the governor recognized that. Um, I would, you know, maybe try to beg to differ a little bit with the record on pre-existing conditions from the standpoint of, you know, Governor Walker had proposed uh, legislation on pre-existing conditions well in advance of this campaign heating up. In fact, all the way back to May of 2017, when he was talking about advocating for the repeal of Obamacare on a federal level, he was saying nothing will change about pre-existing conditions. So he had advocated for that. Um, Democrats doubt his um, veracity on that issue, but I personally don't. And I think that one of the things that happened that was really important, that from my own individual standpoint, um, perhaps I could have been advocating for sooner, is the idea that we needed to show not only that Governor Walker had a plan on that, not only that he cared about that issue, but that it was personal to him. And that's something that he saw and understood. So we were talking about that issue for a good long while, but the way that we were talking about it, I think got more effective in the end. And what you saw from Governor Walker was saying, hey, this is personal for me, just like it is for so many people across the state. I'm sure that almost everybody in this room either has dealt with the pre-existing condition issue or knows someone who has. And that was the point that Governor Walker started making. He started saying, hey, this is personal. You know, his wife, Mrs. Walker, is a type 1 diabetic. His brother, David, has a heart condition. His mother survived breast cancer. And he started, I think, showing 
how that issue mattered to him personally and, to be honest, show, started showing a little bit of the outrage that we felt on our end about his record not being represented in an accurate way on that front. Um, and I think that was important. That was something that he recognized as he was out there talking to the people of Wisconsin. Um, I can say that from just one individual operative standpoint where it's my job to sit here and say, these are the issues we want to talk about today, there were other issues that I thought we should talk about, and I thought that should be in the mix. Um, but over time, it became clear that that issue was a potent one that was being used, um, you know, frankly, in an orchestrated way across the country by Democrat campaigns all over the nation. Um, and I think the governor recognized that. Um, so that's one of the things that, from my standpoint, um, if I had a time machine, I might do something about. But. I, I have to respond to part of that. <laughs> um, you know, I think, you know, I, you can talk, I, I mean, I think Brian talks about how, you know, the governor started talking about this in 2017. Well, it was an election year. He was going into an election. I mean, I think for, you know, starting with 2010, when he started to come into office, it was repeal and replace, it was repeal and replace, it was repeal and replace. And there's a reason that we're in federal court right now to take, you know, to, to basically get rid of the Affordable Care Act, which would end protections for those with pre-existing conditions. And so for us, there was a level where, you know, I think that like many things that happen where it was like, well, it's an election time and now the governor's coming out when he knows this is an issue and saying, well, yeah, I'm for protecting pre-existing health conditions. I think this is something that was a bedrock of our campaign from the very beginning. Tony's a cancer survivor himself. And I think that we have 2.4 million Wisconsinites in this here that, you know, have a pre-existing health condition. That number is probably actually, frankly, higher than 2.4 million. And so I think for us, there was a love, there was a reason we kept talking about it. Frankly, I think it was the best example that we had out of many that was where, you know, where the governor had put his self-interest before and political interest before the people of the state of Wisconsin. And I think the biggest example was pre-existing health conditions because we didn't hear anything from him. And I worked in the legislature. I know this his record on this quite clearly. This was something we had not heard from him up until this point. And I think that that was part of the reason it became the issue that it was. And obviously, I think the fact that we continued to hear about it from the Walker campaign as much as we did going into the election, I think they knew it was a problem. And that, that, they, that they did have a, you know, like I said, you can't run for eight years, seven years saying you want to get rid of it and then you know in the bottom of the ninth be like well yeah you know we're for this I think that that was I think the voters through saw through some of that in my opinion I think the only thing I'd want to say to that is that one of the points that the governor had made consistently was that from our standpoint you don't have to protect the failures of Obamacare to protect pre-existing conditions and you can do that separate from what's going on with Obamacare and I think it was important that we continue to make that case consistently because costs were going up um, on hardworking families, and that was something that Governor Walker wanted to address, and he felt that we needed to address that by getting rid of Obamacare, but he didn't think that that needed to come at the expense of removing uh, protections for pre-existing conditions. So in our minds, it's a false choice, and you can do, um, you can do both of those things. Um, I think in Wisconsin, we've shown that you can do really difficult things by rejecting those false choices, and that's one of the classic things that Scott Walker did, um, pushing reforms that refuse to accept the status quo. Um, and so I would just say that, you know, we felt that that was a genuine, legitimate part of the governor's record that maybe was perhaps a bit misunderstood in media. Wedge Issues is sponsored by WISPolitics.com. You can become a WISPolitics.com member Find out more at wispolitics.com slash membership. I do want to give you the chance to each weigh in on the biggest challenge the other campaign served to you and the biggest opportunity that they gave to you to uh, capitalize on. Uh, I don't remember who went first last time, so just jump in, guys. I think, I I think you're pretty comfortable. Brian, you can go first. All right. <laughs> I'm still trying See to figure how they out. work together. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still trying to figure out whether it's better to go first or not. I haven't decided that. So one of the things that yeah, one of the things that I think that was a challenge about running against Tony Evers is that in many ways he was so um, undefined. Um, he is um, someone who had ran for statewide office, of course, state school superintendent, but it's not the same thing as running against a a Scott Walker or a Tom Barrett or somebody that has, for whatever reason, been mixed up in a partisan sense on a statewide level. And so I think that one of the things that was difficult um, is trying to figure out how to define a guy who, compared to our guy, had less of a highly visible track record in a partisan election. Um, I think the Evers campaign did a pretty good job of maintaining that. Um, I think the Evers campaign did a pretty good job of being careful about 
not getting themselves out there on too many issues. Um, they ran a pretty tight campaign from that standpoint. Um, the flip side of that is that we felt that um, Tony Evers had a lot of things that he should have been answering for, a lot of aspects of his record that he should have to speak to, that sort of thing. Um, that brings me to um, one of the big opportunities that I think um, that came in the campaign as a result of um, things that the other side was doing, which was the tax issue, which wasn't really specifically and only about taxes. It was about having a broader debate about the Wisconsin comeback and are we going to move forward or are we going to risk that and are we going to move backward? What's at stake in this election? And I think when you saw um, Tony Evers talk about the spending plans that he wanted, the changes to taxes, frankly, the tax increases that he was going to be pursuing, all of that stuff. Once that truth started to come out and with some basic questions from the media, that stuff started to spool out, that was a huge opportunity because what we saw was a situation where income taxes were going to go up on farmers and small businesses. We saw the door opening back up to property taxes after Scott Walker had held those down. Um, we saw the gas tax debate. We saw all of these ways that money is going to go out of the pockets of hardworking Wisconsin families. That was a huge opportunity because what it allowed us to do was continue our message of saying, okay, Scott Walker's a reformer who's getting things done, who does what he says he can do, who's going to move the state forward. Tony Evers is a guy who doesn't really have a track record of standing up for the hardworking families of Wisconsin, doesn't really have a track record of that kind of leadership. And here it is, case in point. Your taxes are going to go up. Here's what that's going to mean for you. So I think that was a huge opportunity. Um, I think it was consistent with the case that we were making and we're going to be making. Um, and when that stuff came out, um, I think everybody recognized that we jumped on that. And I think appropriately so, it got a lot of attention. I mean, I would say on the taxes front is, you know, I think that it was a lot of fear-mongering that we saw out of the Walker campaign as it related to that. Um, obviously, Tony was never going to raise the gas tax by a dollar. Uh, and that was, you know, rhetoric that they repeated often, which it got covered, it got a lot of traction. And that's something that they were able to penetrate, I think, that message really well um, and to continue to get it out there. I think, though, that, you know, I think when you look at the income tax front, obviously, this was something that we proposed an income tax cut that would have affected 86% of filers in the state of Wisconsin and would have allowed those to still, small businesses and, and farmers to continue to receive the subsidies that they were getting um, from the state from, from the state of Wisconsin um, to that weren't going away. And so there was a lot of fear-mongering we saw out of them. I mean, even Governor Walker's former DOT secretary, Mark Gottlieb, said that, you know, it was fear-mongering and that it wasn't being honest and that it was misleading. And so I think that that was something that, you know, on the taxes front, certainly it got some traction. And I think, you know, to Brian's point earlier about when we saw the change in the Marquette poll, it was really around when they made that shift to taxes. That wasn't what the Walker campaign had started with. They started off on a licensure issue and they, you know, went very hard with us on that, and I think to some extent they took it, I think they did take it too far. I think that there were things in there that people saw a lifelong educator who had dedicated his life to serving the kids of Wisconsin. I think they didn't buy what they were being sold on that on that bit of goods. And so I think that, you know, one thing that I think that, you know, was a challenge that frankly came from, you know, the Walker campaign, I think is they, they hit us on a bunch of different issues. And I think that part of it was because some of it was they didn't know what exactly was working and then they honed in on taxes. And that was something that you guys really effective, you know, continuously and repeatedly went after. Um, but I think that, you know, that was something, it, there were six, seven different areas at one point that we were having to play defense on um, as it related, which frankly, ultimately allowed us to continue to go back to reinforcing our message of better schools, better roads, better healthcare, someone that's working to solve problems, not pick political fights. And so I think that the fact that we were having to fight on all of those fronts was something that actually ended up, I think, being a positive for us in the long term because we were able to stay on our message and we weren't getting bogged down in, in some other issues. So I, having covered this race, I know how I would answer this question, but I want to know how each of you think the national influence uh, affected or didn't affect the race. Um, everyone would probably agree chaos in Washington, regardless of how you feel or how you vote. Um, but I think this was a pretty Wisconsin-focused campaign. So uh, how would you each kind of tackle that? Yeah, we were running against Scott Walker. I mean, at no point, I think that there were some folks who wished that we would have taken Donald Trump to task more often. I think that the race we were running was against the governor. And I think that that's something we were really disciplined about. Now, certainly when we were talking about President Trump, it was when we were talking about Scott Walker. And so it was whether it was talking about tariffs or whether it was about our, you know, um, locking kids, separating kids and families at the border and, and the governor's lack of sort of response on that. Those were areas where we did talk about Donald Trump. But at the end of the day, it was really a race that we were focused on, on running against Scott Walker. And I also think that um, 
I think though where Donald Trump did contribute is some of the tone. I think that people just really, they want to calm in the, I believe they want to calm in the political storm. They want someone who's going to be respectful. They want someone who is going to be kind. They, I think that there was a foil that was there um, of Donald Trump and Tony Evers to some extent, but I, I, at the end of the day, we were running against Scott Walker. Yeah, I think um, from our standpoint, the, both the nationalist environment and something that I want to speak to from the previous exchange relates to two words, which is healthcare. Um, to the previous point that, um, that Maggie made about misleading attacks and things like that, I think that where we felt on this side uh, was that the misleading fear-mongering was actually happening on the healthcare issue. Um, we felt like we were being very clear about our record on that. And we do think that there are things about the tax issue, just to go back to that for a moment, that are very important for people to understand. Now, I grew up on a dairy farm, 50 cows, 600 acres in Sauk County, Wisconsin. And that farm would see a tax increase under what Tony Evers is talking about, as would many other family farms. And the reason for that is that family farms, small family farms, oftentimes gross a lot more money than they actually take home. There is money that comes in, but there is high overhead. And so there are a lot of farms um, that would see tax increases under, for instance, the income tax uh, changes that Tony was talking about. To say nothing of all the small businesses that might on paper look like they make a lot of money, but actually they employ 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 people, and they're the engine of this economy. So I think that we felt very solid on the tax thing, and we felt like healthcare was the misleading um, attack in this race. It's also important, though, to the question at hand, which is that when we talk about was there national forces at play, um, we think very clearly it was a highly nationalized environment that had a massive impact in the state of Wisconsin, and that, as I said before, when you're running in a evenly divided battleground state, that kind of national environment leaves you in a situation where you're walking on a knife's edge, and there is literally no room for any of those national forces having an impact. The fact of the matter is that the healthcare attacks that occurred in this campaign as well as in the U.S. Senate campaign, as well as in nearly every state across the country, was a nationally orchestrated attack straight from D.C. So the talking points travel pretty quickly from Washington, D.C. to Wisconsin when it's an advantageous issue for the Democrats. And so I think it's important that people recognize that this was a highly nationalized election from the standpoint of the environment, and it was also highly nationalized from some of the attacks that the Democrats lobbed at Scott Walker, healthcare being, I think, the prime example. And I think it's difficult to dispute the idea that this was an attack that was being orchestrated all across the country, and end up informing um, the strategy here in the governor's race, and ended up fitting in with a broader national environment that made it difficult for this race to be anything other than down to the wire, that led to tighter margins in Republican races in U.S. Senate, governor, House, all across the country. So what you saw was an election night where Republicans across the country, in statewide as well as congressional as well as state legislative races, were losing, or if they won, they won by much smaller margins than they had in the past. What that meant for our race is that in an evenly divided battleground state, there's literally no room for error, and it meant for a very, very tight um, race here for governor. So I think national forces were at play regardless of what the two campaigns did in this election, and I think that the Democrat campaigns here in the state of Wisconsin contributed toward that and used one of the major D.C. Um, pages out of their playbook. So I think that national forces were indisputably at play. I would just say Scott Walker's record speaks for itself. So, <laughs> on the healthcare front. <laughs> well, speaking of a political or a calm in the political storm, my Apple Watch has been telling me to breathe for the last 20 minutes. So, <laughs> I don't know what that is to say about this. But um, I'm going to ask each of you what are the issues you think, and to overuse a, an overused cliche at the end of the day, what decided this race? I mean, I, I think it was healthcare, um, and I think that without a doubt, that was something that I think the governor's record was very clear on this. He was a politician that put his own interests ahead of the state of Wisconsin, and I think that when you have 2.4 million Wisconsinites that have a pre-existing health condition, and their governor is currently in federal court to take away those protections, and then only in election year starts talking about that he wants to protect those individuals, to me, that was a huge issue in this campaign. Healthcare costs continue to rise, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that Governor Walker did not want to implement some of the things that would have reduced healthcare costs in the state of Wisconsin. There is a reason that Minnesota pays half of what Wisconsin does for the same kind of health care. And so to us, I think health care was at the very heart of this. I also think education. There's a reason that Scott Walker took Tony Evers' budget last year 
and made it his own. And I think that that, that is something that he knows, that you can't take $800 million from our public schools and you can't have record referendum. I mean, over a million Wisconsinites in the state of Wisconsin have voted to increase taxes on themselves. We just saw a record number of referendum just this past um, Tuesday. And I think it speaks to the fact that people value public education in the state of Wisconsin and that under this governor, they felt that that he wasn't living up to that up to that task. And so I think that those were the two issues to me that really decided this. But I think overall, at the end of the day, on both of these issues, this was really came down to, I think, who the two candidates were. And I think that we were able to successfully talk about the fact that, you know, that we believe that Governor Walker is someone who puts the interests of himself over the people of this state. And we were able to execute that vision in several ways, whether it was the secretaries that came out and said that they were supporting Tony and that, you know, we're talking about the governor's record of putting himself first to the issues that I just talked about. Um, but I would say that at the end of the day, it did come down to health care and it came down to education. Yeah, I think from our standpoint, there's no question that it came down to the nationalized environment and it came down to the surge in turnout here in Madison, um, as well as in other liberal areas that were um, beyond. I mean, let's not forget that these were near presidential uh, levels. It was within just a few thousand votes of being presidential levels um, here in Dane County, for instance. So that was a huge overriding factor. Within that, there's a lot of issues that push and pull within that. I think that um, Maggie's right, that healthcare was a huge issue in this race. Um, we feel very differently about the way that the governor's record was represented. And it's no surprise that Republicans and Democrats um, in this room disagree on the issue of health care. But there's no question that that was um, an important one. Um, I think that when you get down beneath that level of the nationalized environment and the way that the health care issue was used in what we feel was a misleading way, not only here but all across the country, when you get down to that next level, what are the issues that are at play? I think that anybody who looks at the results of this election have to see and understand that the people of Wisconsin also cared very deeply about the economy and jobs and wages and having more people working than ever before, having the state head in the right direction. As part of that, taxes, keeping their taxes low, not seeing those taxes go up, not seeing the comeback go backward. So when you have a race where it comes down to 1.2%, there's a lot of issues that both sides are speaking to that matter a lot. And I think that it's going to be really important for Democrat leadership in this state, especially as they're trying to work with the Republican legislature to recognize that there is an entire half of this state that felt that the progress that was made under Scott Walker's leadership of higher wages, more jobs, instead of more spending and higher taxes, is something that a lot of people really care about. A lot of people also really felt that either Scott Walker was doing what needed to be done or was going to be doing what needed to be done in health care or felt that his record was being distorted. So I wouldn't disagree that health care was a major issue, but I do think that it was against that larger broader nationalized backdrop, and I do think that there are other issues like jobs and wages and the economy that were crucial that a lot of people spoke very loudly in favor of on election day. And when you have a race that's as close as this one was, all of those things I think have to be factored in. I think that's a good springboard for a question that's been submitted in, in different forms several times tonight, which is what are, what are the challenges and opportunities for Tony Evers, governor-elect, to work with a Republican legislature. Are there opportunities to come together? What are the challenges moving forward here? I can go first yeah. on that one. <laughs> That's probably kind of Brian thing at this go point. first on yeah. that one. <laughs> um, you know, I would say that there are a lot of areas. I mean, I think that Tony's record as state superintendent is one that kind of speaks for itself. Who's always, he's always worked to bring people together to find solutions. I mean, I think that you have someone, whether, you know, as state superintendent that has, frankly, brought together public, public education officials and people from the school voucher movement to actually pass some reasonable legislation that made sure that our voucher schools were more transparent and and that they were um, you know that that they were more accountable he's done that he has a track record of doing this he's worked on mental health issues with the state with the state legislature and that's just with him as as state superintendent and so I think that having someone who comes to the table that is willing to work together and you know the day after he won he made phone calls to speaker Voss and to majority leader Fitzgerald saying that he wanted to work together with them on issues that were facing the state of Wisconsin I think we can get it done it's a matter of leadership to me and I think that you you know, one of the areas I think we're absolutely going to see some bipartisan support and solutions on is, is our transportation system. I think that there was one person that was standing in the way of finding a reasonable solution for how we pay for our roads, and I believe it was the governor. I mean, we know that Speaker Voss, where his stance is on, 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 on this issue, and we also know where members of the Senate are on this issue. And so I think that it's one that that's an area where I actually think we can see some real bipartisan compromise. I also think that there are other areas around education that I think we can see some bipartisan compromise. 
compromised, certainly on healthcare as it relates to opioids, and I think other, I think on, even on some criminal justice. I think that as it relates to some of the reforms that we saw Governor Thompson talking about, obviously, and I think that some of the members of the legislature, I think that are that are, I think just looking for some leadership on these issues, and I believe that, you know, with with. The governor-elect's sort of approach and, and his ability to come to the table and work and find solutions, as well as I think the team that he's building around him, I think that we're going to be able to get some stuff done. Yeah, I think the answer to that question um, will lie in large degree uh, to the folks that Governor-elect Evers decides to pursue. And so, you know, I am not going to get ahead, certainly, of our legislative leadership in the Republican legislature in the areas that they see um, as the most right. But I think that you know, when it comes down to the difficult task of governing, um, the governor-elect has some choices. Um, does he want to try to dismantle um, many of the things that happened under Scott Walker's time in office that got this state headed in the right direction? And I think this is something that the legislative leadership has been speaking to. So does he want to focus on the things that are going to keep the economy moving forward? They're going to keep job growth going, keep wage growth going, that sort of thing. Is he going to focus on those kinds of things, or is he going to focus on trying to do many of the things that were talked about in the campaign, both the general and the Democrat primary, that would undo a lot of that progress. So, you know, on a campaign level, maybe there was a desire not to talk about Act 10, but there were a lot of people that wanted to hear where the Democrat candidates for governor stood on Act 10. And at the end of the day, they all roundly talked about getting rid of Act 10, essentially. Um, that's just one small piece of a broader picture of a choice that has to be made. Now, Scott Walker made difficult choices throughout his time in office, and whether people like them or not, I know a lot of people um, who are Democrats, independents, as well as Republicans, who say, hey, he did what he said he was going to do. You go back to the gas tax, that's an issue where the governor was fulfilling a campaign promise, that he was not going to raise taxes without um, reducing taxes in another spot to make sure the overall tax burden did not go up. Um, so I think that something that people appreciated about Governor Walker is that he did what he said he was going to do, that he kept his promises. And I think one of the challenges that the Democrats are going to have now is how do you keep those campaign promises without alienating the rest of the state? And when you have a Madison midterm like we had, where with all due respect to a lot of folks in this room who probably disagree with me, there are a lot of promises that were made because of some of the things that people in this city or places like it in the state wanted to see. That's very at odds with the governing situation that Tony Evers is going to find himself in now um, once he takes office, um, not only because of the pretty evenly divided election results where we can see there's a large portion of the state of Wisconsin wants to see a lot of what Governor Walker was doing continue, but because he's going to run up against the difficult task of governing with divided government and having to find a way where he can um, keep some of those promises um, while also trying to find a way to somehow get in touch with the rural parts of the state that the Democrat Party has completely lost touch with and contend with the Republican legislature, I think it's going to be a difficult task. And I think that people are going to see the difference between talk and leadership. And I think a lot of people are going to look and see, hey, this is a tough job. And you know what? Governor Walker did a lot of things. He got a lot of things done. Many of them are very good for the state. And even those things that you might disagree with, you're going to see that it took a lot of conviction and a lot of leadership in order to be able to take action when others wouldn't. One thing I will say about that is I think that the fact that we have 2.4 million Wisconsinites that have pre-existing health conditions, they don't just live in Madison and Milwaukee. And I think that we've had over a million Wisconsinites that have voted to raise their own property taxes to pay for their schools aren't just in Madison and Milwaukee. I mean, like, and I think the fact that we have 20 municipalities in the state of Wisconsin that have had to raise gas taxes on them and, and put fees on, on themselves in five counties, those aren't just Madison and Milwaukee. So I think that at the end of the day, we ran a campaign, like I said, that was about Wisconsin values, about better schools, better roads, better health care. They were Wisconsin values. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. And frankly, you can go ask a lot of Democrats, and they get frustrated with Tony sometimes because they're like, well, what are you? Are you progressive? Are you liberal? Are you moderate? What are you? Tony does what's best. And, and as he's always said along, what's best for our kids is what's best for our state. He is somebody who is focused on doing the right things for the right reasons. And I hope that the legislature is willing to come to the table and, and, and work with us on this. I mean, it's easy, it's, it's a lot easier to get stuff done when, you know, you have all three branches of government. We don't have that. And we recognize that that's a challenge that we're walking into. But at the end of the day, we're walking in with the leadership and the attitude that we want to get things done and we want to bring people together. And I think that, to me, I hope that, you know, some of the rhetoric we've seen from Speaker Voss as it relates to, um, you know, some of the power that, you know, that they want to take away from Governor-elect Evers, and I think some of the, the threats that are being made are really unfortunate. I think on Tuesday, the people of Wisconsin made a decision, and they made a choice, and I, I hope that we're not going back into this more of this divide and conquer, and instead can work together um, to really, I think, find some solutions to some really big problems that we have facing the state. That's fine. You can applaud. 
please clap. Uh, we are really, really close to the end of the time here, and by really close, I mean we're pretty much at it, but I'm going to try to squeeze in just a couple more questions here so we can end on a little bit of a feel-good note. <laughs> <laughs> and that is by asking the two of you, what is the hardest part of running a statewide race, working on a statewide race? What is the most fun part? What do you enjoy about this? Brian, you can go first. Let's have a little kumbaya <laughs> moment here. All right. Um, hardest part, I think, is keeping your focus under the hours and under the stress and under the criticisms and under the difficulties that both sides face, win or lose. Um, I think that it is difficult to describe for people um, outside of a campaign what a pressure cooker can be. And we sign up for it. And the flip side of that is that um, the adrenaline of it is the best part because you know that you are part of something bigger than yourself. You're doing something you believe in. And so um, it's really kind of both sides of the same coin, I would say. Um, the, the cost of doing business here is that you deal with the, the stress and the criticism and the difficulty in the hours and not seeing your loved ones and getting back at 11 p.m. and they're asleep and all of those kinds of things that um, can be really heartbreaking to deal with on a campaign. Um, but you do it because um, you're devoted to something bigger than yourself. And, you know, I started um, this talk tonight by talking about why it was important to me to work for Scott Walker. And knowing that there's a lot of people who feel differently about him in this room, I do have to say that um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And when you look at someone like him who um, has followed his convictions, um, done what he said he was going to do, gotten a lot of things done for the people of this state, um, even if there are those who disagree with some of those things um, that are here tonight, um, you do feel like it's all worth it. And so win or lose, um, whatever happens, um, you get the chance to be part of something that's that exciting, that can make that big of a difference. And I have no doubt that Maggie feels the same way um, about Governor-elect Evers and her team. Um, that's why we get into this, because we mean it. And um, so that's both the worst and the best, the cost of, of that kind of lifestyle and that kind of work life, um, but also the benefit of it, the idea that you get to feel that... Uh, you're making a difference. And I think a lot of the people who work for Scott Walker over the years, whether it was directly for his campaign, whether it was for his administration, whether it was for the Republican Party of Wisconsin, feel like they made a massive difference um, in the direction of this state. And I think that um, whatever happens, they'll always have that. And I think that's a worthy thing. Um, you know, Whether you agree with someone or not, to see someone devote their lives to doing something like that is, uh, is an admirable thing, but it definitely definitely takes a toll. Yeah, I would say there's not enough hours in the day. I think that's the biggest challenge. Everybody wants your candidate's time. You want to give your candidate's time to people. You come home late. You, everyone's asleep. Or, you know, your friends are like, hey, where have you been? Or your mom's like, hey, why haven't you called me in two weeks? I mean, <laughs> Sorry, Mom. I should have mentioned mom. that. <laughs> um, you know, I think that those are real. The time constraints are very real. And you're dealing with a 72-county state. I mean, that's something that is a real balancing and making sure everyone gets the love that that they need and, and that what they definitely what they want, you never can match that. But I think that, you know, that's a really difficult balance that you have to, and obviously we are a state that has, you know, a huge rural community, but also has a very, you know, sophisticated urban, you know, we have some really big urban communities too. And so I think that's another challenge is really finding that balance between making sure that, you know, you're doing what needs to be done and, and, and finding that balance as best as you can. Um, and I would, I would agree with Brian too, that I think that the, the kind of, you know, to do this kind of work, we kind of have, you have to be an adrenaline junkie. You know, it is that you are on the highs and the highs, and in one day you can go to a low, and then you're back up by the end of the day, and it's like, what happened today? <laughs> um, and so I think that to do this, you, you obviously, like I said, but I also, I also think that, you know, there's nothing like when you're at a stop and someone comes up to you and, and they're crying and they're talking to you about how, you know, a policy that you're talking about or a person and, 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 and you know, how that impacts their lives. I think sometimes, you know, one of my favorite parts, um, is, and I missed it from the primary, was when we only had three people on our primary race. And, you know, I got to travel with um, Tony a lot, and I got to be on the road a lot, and I loved it. I loved being on the road. And then when the, you know, primary ended and the general began, I was in Madison a lot more. And I think that one of my, the reason one of my favorite parts of, of being on the road is you get to talk to people. You get to hear where they're at, and I think you get to hear these incredible stories of either incredible things people have done or in ways that the policies that we're talking about and, you know, we spew talking points at each other, but it really affects real people's lives. Like, we are talking about, you know, when we talk about healthcare and we go back, I mean, we are talking about real people. And I think that, to me, 
that's something that never loses its power um, when you're on the trail, and I think it's the most rewarding part of it. And and working for someone like Tony, who is really committed to um, just doing the right things for the right reasons and is a good person, um, is just it's been an honor. Well, look, when I have the candidates on the podcast, I run them through the ringer on a relatively long list of lightning round questions, and I'm <laughs> going to spare these two from most of them, but I always start and end with the same two questions, and I'm going to put these two to the test, and they've prepared both of their candidates to answer these questions, so I think they'll be okay. We're going to close it out by asking each of you, what is your favorite Wisconsin beer and your favorite Wisconsin cheese? <laughs> Well, I would have to say on cheese, I mean, Hook's 10-year age cheddar is one of my favorite. <laughs> I mean, come on, the sharper the better. <laughs> that would definitely be what I would say. Um, and I would say that uh, Hopalicious is my favorite uh, beer. So. Brian? I'm just a simple Sauk County boy. It's got to be squeaky cheese curds and Miller Lite. <laughs> And those are good, too. I like those, too. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for coming out tonight. This is great. Thank you to both of our guests. You guys were awesome. This was a lot of fun. We hope you'll come the next time we do something like this. And uh, you can listen to the episode on Friday. If you're not subscribed to Wedge Issues, I don't know what you're doing here, but uh, you should do that. And, uh, yeah, another round of applause for these two. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. As I mentioned last week, when I started doing this podcast at the beginning of this election season, we weren't sure if we would keep it up after the election, and we've been having a lot of fun with it, so we are going to keep it up. But these next few weeks, there's Thanksgiving, Christmas, a lot of holidays coming up. We may be taking a few weeks off here and there. We will be back next week with a new episode on Friday, and we will continue to release new episodes on Fridays, but we'll keep you posted on some of those weeks we might be taking off. So make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse Opie, J-E-S-S-I-E-O-P-I-E, or you can email me at J-O-P-O-I-E-N at Madison.com. I do want to hear from you. I want to know what you want to hear from this podcast now that we're on the other side of this election. So please let me know. Thanks again to this week's guests, Brian Reisinger and Maggie Gow, for joining me for this live episode. We had a lot of fun. Looking forward to doing more of those in the future. We'll see you next week. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by WISPolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to WISPolitics.com membership to find out more.